We're going to look at a message today entitled Faith Works. Faith Works. We're going to finish up the, the second chapter in James. We're moving on through. Uh, three chapters left after today. Um, but man, this, this chapter, this second section within this chapter that we're going to look at today is foundational. That really you take the concept that we're going to look at today and it is the the base and the foundation, the cornerstone uh, to the rest of the book. That if you have this right, uh, everything else will kind of fall into line. But have you guys ever heard the sayings, uh, all talk? Maybe someone's playing basketball, maybe, maybe you play basketball or whatever sport you do, and you know, someone's kind of puffing up a, a, a real big game that, man, I could, I could dunk and I can shoot three-pointers. Uh, but then it's like, okay, you're like, okay, let's play, let's play, show me, show me your dunk, show me your awesome three-pointer. And then they can't do it, right? Then you would call them, man, he's, he's all talk. Uh, maybe you guys have heard the saying, uh, what was it? Yeah, all bark and no bite. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, yeah. And you know, kind of like the, the dog thing. He's like, man, he, he's got a loud bark, but uh, his, his bite's like a little puppy. It's, it's nothing. Um, there was f- funny, I was looking up a few of these different sayings, and there's one I found. It was, it's called, uh, it says this. It's kind of where these other ones come from, but it was all hat and no cattle. You ever heard it? Yeah, Isaac, I bet you've heard of it. And what's the concept? It means that, man, the guy looks like a cowboy. He's got the nicest hat. Oh, man, the spurs on his boots and the most expensive cowboy boots. The, he even has like a truck now, so he looks, he's listening to country music. But uh, he looks so cowboy, but he has no cattle. And it's, and it's kind of that all talk. If you guys remember when I was in junior high, uh, we, the word went around quite a lot, the word poser. Have you guys ever heard of it? Any, who's not heard of the word poser? Okay, for sure. Does that, do you guys say that these days? No? Okay, so in my day, which was really not that long ago, it was only like 10, no, yeah, 10, 10 years ago. But um, it, it's really, I'm not old, so I'm really not. Um, I guess compared to you guys, no, no denial. Um, but people would say, people would maybe, I, I always thought of people that dress up in all the skater stuff. So they would have skate shoes, and this was big. And so they'd have skate shoes and the active shirts and this and that, and they'd look like a skater, but they don't even own a skateboard. And so people would call them, what, posers. They, they, were, they were posing as something else than they actually were. It's a pretender. You guys understand the concept of this whole thing, right? It's kind of that all talk. But how many of you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, how many of you know someone who say they are a Christian, yet there is absolutely no evidence for that in their life? That it seems like, they're more talk than they are actually action. Uh, maybe some of you today, uh, you're this type of Christian, that you're all hat and no cattle, that you, you talk a big talk, you know the right answers to say at the right time, you know about the Bible, and you even believe in God, but your life does not really match up to the things that you say. I bet there's some of us for sure in this room today. And so today we're going to look at Uh, There's a question, look at verse 14 in James chapter 2, and it kind of goes right along with what I'm saying. Verse 14 is the first verse, and and James poses a question. It's kind of a two-part question, but it says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And so he, he, he poses this question, but they're really rhetorical meaning he, he's asking a question, but it's in a, a writing format. And so they're rhetorical, that there is an expected answer to these. And the first answer would be nothing. It profits nothing if someone has faith, but no works. And the second answer would be no. Can faith save him? And we're like, well, that sounds, this doesn't sound right. 
Well, when it says, what does it profit? It says, what does it profit if someone has faith but has no works to show for it? Uh, Another way of saying that is, what is the benefit? What good comes from this? What is gained from it? Uh, So most of you have a dad at home that goes to work. Uh, Maybe your mom works as well. But she goes to work or he goes to work to make a what? To make a profit, to make money. There's something good that comes out of, they leave you all day long to go and work and it's for a reason. It's so that you can have food and clothing and housing and there's profit, there's good that comes out of it. There is a benefit to him going to work, right? So that you guys can uh, be provided for. There is a profit to that. And so he says, what profit, what benefit is it if someone is like this? It says, but notice in verse 14, it says, someone who says he has faith. This is someone who just says, hey, I believe in God. I am a Christian. But then it's statement only. There is no action to follow that you could look in their life and they look like the rest of the world. And if you look at the second question, it almost sounds wrong, right? Look at at verse 14 again in your Bibles. I want you to see it. It says, can faith save him? You see, the rhetorical answer that we have to that is, is no, you're like, what do you mean? That's like how you get saved is you have faith in Jesus. The kind of faith that this is talking about is a faith that doesn't have any actions to follow. It's fake faith. There's only the belief. There's only, I believe in God, but my, I haven't trusted him for salvation. A better way to put it is, will the confession of belief in God alone save someone? Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that believe in God that will be in hell one day, that they believe he is real, but they don't trust him for salvation. Their life doesn't match up to their confession. And so the question for us today from verse 14 that we can take out of it, uh, Destiny, you can put it on the board, but it's does our life match up to the faith that we confess? You guys can write that down. This is a question that I have to ask myself now and you have to ask yourself. Does our life, our everyday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going to school, in our families, does those daily things match up with what we confess we believe? The faith that we confess that we have. And so this is a question that we're going to look at today. And so how do we find that out? How do we know? Well, we have to examine our lives. And there's uh, three different questions as we go through the text uh, that I'm going to ask you uh, from the text for us to be able to find out this answer. And the first one, we're going to see in verses 15 and 17, uh, how do we know? How do we know if our life matches up with our confession, if our faith matches up with our works? How do we know? Well, a really good indicator is do you respond to need? Do I respond to need? Do we respond to people's need? And we're going to see very specifically, do you respond to your brothers and sisters in Christ, their needs? That's a very good indication if you are very well aware and willing to um, meet those needs that, man, that's a really good indication that your faith is legit, that it's it's real. It's not just posing. It's not all talk. And so we see this question in verse 14, but look at verses 15, 16, and 17 with me. It says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one says to them, depart in peace, Be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what James would call dead. That that is a dead faith. 
And so he follows this first question that we see in verse 14 with an illustration. He wants, he wants us to kind of, he wants to give us something practical and tangible to realize, man, do we have the faith that he's talking about or do we have the faith without works? And so he says, if, it's a, it's a hypothetical type of question. And so we can learn from this and check our faith. And so what's the situation? Well, he says, if there is a brother or sister, this is a fellow Christian, someone who also believes in the Lord and they, they, you know, they're, they're in the body of Christ. And it says that if this brother or sister comes to you and you see that they're naked. Now you're like, naked, that's weird. It's just talking about the, the clothing that they have on is very poor. So maybe they don't have socks on and maybe they only have one shoe or they, uh, their, their pants are you know, ripped and their shirt is, is really dirty and, and they, they kind of need more clothing or maybe it's cold outside and they don't have a jacket is that if you see someone who's in need of some type of physical clothing or that they're destitute of daily food, it means that they're lacking food, they, they need more nutrition, that they don't know where the next meal comes from. And he says, this is the type of person that comes. And what kind of person is described here? It's just someone in need, whether it's a food or clothing. But the principle is just someone who's a brother or sister and they come to you in need. And he says, how you respond will determine kind of where you're at. That if you shut your heart up to them, then it'll show something interesting. That if this is how you respond and you just say, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, then your, then your faith is of no profit. There's no value to it. When it says depart in peace, that this would be the response. It means God bless you. That if, if, if someone were to come and say, oh, oh depart in peace, God, God bless you, God's peace on you. God bless you, brother. Be, be warm and be filled. Someone who has a serious physical need, and if they were to come to you and you were to say, okay, God bless you, the, the word when it says be warm and be filled, it means literally, hey, cause yourself to be warm. Good luck. Cause yourself to be filled of, full of food. Go find a jacket and go find some food for yourself. Does that help at all? If you were to say God bless you to someone, someone that's starving, is that like, is that like man, that's right on. That's, this is awesome. No, it doesn't do anything for them. They're, they're still hungry. They, God might have you in their life to bless them, but it says that he, he's using this illustration for us to understand that just as someone who were to say only by their words something, it would be worthless, that they, there has to be the action to follow, that it, it would profit nothing, it'd be useless, that your faith is simply empty words. It's, if it was something real, then it would be something of substance and you would meet the need. That if your faith is real, then you'll do what you can to meet their need. It's a, it's an, this is an amazing indicator on where we stand. And 1 John chapter 3 says something very similar. Look in your Bibles. Uh, sorry, not your Bibles. You don't have to turn there. Look up on the screen. 1 John, you can write it down in your notes. It says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need just like what we were seeing in James, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Meaning it doesn't. My little children, let us not love just in word or in tongue in what we say, but in deed and in truth in what we do. And by this we shall know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This is awesome. He says, but whoever confesses, sorry, whoever has this world's goods and you're able to help someone, but you refuse, and especially a brother or sister, he says, how do they have the love of God in them? 
They say they have faith, but it's not matching up. And he says, he gives us that encouragement. Man, let's let's not just say things, let's, let's do them. And it's a good word for us today. But if you look at verse 19, the, the end of this, this section, it says, by this, by if we respond accordingly, we shall know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That if we're meeting those needs, it's not that because we're doing those things that that's what saves us, but we can see those things that we're doing and be like, man, I'm, I'm meeting the need of people. I, 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 it's, it's matching up. It's start, I, I confess I believe in Jesus, and now it's starting to make sense that my life is starting to match up with what I say I believe. And it's not that those things save us. Uh, there's a guy named Thomas Manton, and he says this, and it might sound confusing, but I'll, I'll explain it. It says, works are not the ground of confidence, but an evidence, not the foundations of faith, but the encouragements of assurance. And you're like, what does that mean? He says that works is not what saves you. You could do all the best things in the world, but if you don't have trust and faith in God, you're, you're done. It, does, it won't mean anything. And so it's not the foundations of faith, these works, but they are the assurance for us. They are our confidence that we can look at them and be like, man, yeah, this is, and it can give you assurance, just like 1 John says, that we shall assure our hearts before him that we are his, that we are his. In Galatians chapter five, verse six says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor 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 uncircumcision avails anything. It means nothing but faith working through love. That it's not about these other things. It's about faith working through love. That our faith, if it's real, then it will work itself out in our lives through love, through meeting the needs of other people. And if there's none of that going on in your life, if you don't care about the needs of a brother or sister, you gotta check your heart today. Because Ironside, there's a guy named Ironside, and he says this, another quote, he says, there is no work of grace in the heart, meaning God's not working in someone's heart where there are no acts of grace in the life. It's a good one, I'll read it again. There, are no, there is no work of grace in the heart where there are no acts of grace in the life. Meaning if, if someone's life, if they're not gracious towards people and there's someone in need and they're not compassionate and especially someone of the faith, then you have to ask, has God worked in their heart in this way? And so the question poses, man, okay, are, are we meeting the needs? You can either kind of check that one off or not check it, but we move on to the second one. And it's a little more broad, but honestly, do we have anything to show? Do we have anything to show? The question is, we say we believe, right? But do we honestly have anything to show for? Is there any evidence within the day-to-day lives that we serve the true and the living God. If someone were to come and, they, and, and you were to come up on stage and you had a PowerPoint in a sense of your life and it was up on the screens and we could see kind of your day-to-day life, would there be any evidence? Would you be able to kind of prove or show like, yeah, look, I'm a Christian. The, this person had a need, so I did this. Uh, I shared my faith with this person and there was, there was works to show kind of the evidence for your faith. Would you be able to? Or would you kind of be like, uh, I, don't have, I don't have anything. I, I, I have nothing to show. Well, look at verses 19, sorry, 18 and 19, and we'll try to answer this question. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe 
and tremble. And so we see in verse 18, he kind of has these two different people. He says, someone might just say, I have faith. And they simply only say that. But another one might say, well, I have works to show my faith. And so we see these two different things. But the person that has faith and works, they can show you. They can, in a sense, come up on stage and say, man, here it is. It's not a, uh, that's not what saves me, but it shows that I am. It shows the proof that I am to show. It means to present. And the question is, do we have anything to show? Maybe you could say today, well, I'm not really meeting the needs when, when I'm presented with them, but maybe I have this or that or the other. And so ask yourself today, would you be able to show? And here's the deal. There are two different types of believing according to the Bible. And we see that in verse 19. Like I was saying earlier, there is a belief that you just believe that God exists. But there are people in hell right now who, when they were on earth, they believed that God existed. They believed in the God of the Bible. They believed that Jesus was here, but they didn't trust him for salvation. And those are the two different types of belief. The first one is they, you just simply believe something is true, that this is a fact. Yes, I, I believe that this is true. But then the second one is a belief that it actually starts to change your actions, that you put your trust and your, your faith in the Lord, and it starts to change your everyday life. Believe, it means to accept as true or to take as truth. That if you believe in God, he says, that's a good thing. Look at verse 19. He says, if you believe in the, the one God, that's good, good job. That is a foundation. That is a starting point, but it's not enough. What if, doesn't it sound weird? Believing in God is not enough. That sounds weird, right? But it's not. It's, it's not enough. There's a step further. There's a trust aspect. And that's what the word faith is kind of described as. It's a belief plus a trust that you believe, but then you begin to trust. Because look at the example he gives. He says, even demons, they believe in God, but it says that they tremble. Do you guys know what a demon is? What's a demon? Yeah. Yep, that's, that's it. There's, there's, there's no demons except angel, former angels that used to be before the throne of God, that they once followed and were in heaven and they had a right relationship with God, but that they chose to follow Satan instead of God. And so now we consider them as demons or fallen angels. They're people, sorry, they're, they're beings that used to be before the very throne of God, that they would see God's glory and they would have to cover their, their faces with their own wings but now they have chosen to go away. And so of course they believe in God. They've seen him. They know with their very eyes. They don't have faith. They have belief. But it says that they believe, but they tremble. Do you guys know what it means to tremble? It means to be so terrified, so utterly afraid that you begin, your body begins to convulse. You begin to shake because you are so afraid. That's how the demons are. That's their belief. Their belief leads them to be, they believe in God so much that they know who God is. They know that God's going to bring judgment one day on them. And so that's where their belief leads them. But are they, are they going to be in heaven with us because they believe in God? No way. No way. And so it's interesting enough that this verse that we can look at, it shows that you are able to believe in God and go to hell. You see, that's a good starting point, but that belief, it has to move to faith because true faith is something that's active. It's real. There's evidence. 
it's going to produce. You guys know when Jesus says, uh, you, will, you shall know them by their fruit? Does that mean that people should have apples and oranges around with them to show that they believe in God? It's like, no. The fruit is what is produced from their life. That the confession is one thing, but then the everyday life begins to reflect their faith in the Lord. And so the question again and again for us is, so what kind of faith do we have? Do we just believe that God is real? Or does our life show that we trust him for salvation? Do we have anything to show? That's a question that only you guys can answer. And so uh, the question today, do we meet the need? Do we have anything to show? And, and the third one is crucial. It's are we willing to give up everything? That a sure sign of a true believer is that you're willing to give up your entire life for the Lord. That is what faith is saying, right? I don't know if you've ever, maybe when you got saved or, you know, someone led you through the prayer. You're saying, God, I am yours alone. And you're giving your life over to God. And so that means in life, when God would ask you to give something up, if that faith is real, if that commitment was true, if you meant it in your heart, then when God asks you to give something up, you'll freely give it. You'll be willing to give it because a real faith in Christ will lead to a life that is fully surrendered to God every time. You see, it might start with words, right? That prayer, I'm, I can remember for sure. You can, you can think back to that prayer that you prayed or that confession that you made, whether it's at an altar call, maybe just in, the, in your own room. And you, you made it and you say, God, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I see I, I see that you're real and I believe it. And Lord, I'm gonna commit my life to you. I'm, meaning I'm giving you my life. Lord, do with you, do with me what you please. Lord, forgive my sins. And, and you said it with your mouth, right? But a commitment to the Lord, it most certainly does not end there. That it should continue after that prayer, the day after, the day after, the year after, and the year after. And so look at verse 20, and we're going we're gonna to read all the way down. We're going to finish a chapter to verse 26. Are we willing to give up everything? Well, verse 20 says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that his faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and she, she sent them out another way? Verse 26, finally, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so uh, he goes on and he says, are you willing to give it all? Because there were people that were, and we see their example. And he says, but do you want to know? Look at verse 20. He says, do you want to know? Meaning, do you want further proof or, proof or evidence that it's not enough just to say you believe in God? He says, I'll show you how faith and works, they go together, that they work together in the same way. And he, and he, and he goes on to show them by bringing up two different uh, Old Testament examples. Then he goes back to the Old Testament and he says, hey, I want to show you these, these people of faith. 
and we'll be able to see how their faith and their works, they matched up together and their lives matched up. The things they said matched up with the things that they did. And so Abraham is the first guy. Uh, what do you guys know about Abraham? He, he's brought up a lot in the Bible, a lot in the New Testament, but give me, give me a couple facts about Abraham. What do you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Had a son, Isaac. Yep. Yeah, he's from a weird place called Ur. Everyone say Ur. Ur. That's where Abraham was from. Ur. What else? What else do you know about Abraham? Yeah. They were very old, right? And that's kind of uh, where we come. Look at verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And so this is actually towards more the end of, Isaac, uh, of Abraham's life. You guys know the story of, of Genesis chapter 22 with Isaac and Abraham? Has anyone never heard that story? Raise your hand. It's okay. Okay? No, be honest. It's, uh, it's a very crazy story. Uh, Abraham has this long-term relationship with God at this point, and God comes to him, and he, and he comes to him one day, and he says, Hey, you know the son that I, that I gave you in your old age, your miracle son, that through him is going to come a great nation and all the promises will be fulfilled? He says, you, you know that son? He says, I want you to go and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him for me. God asked Abraham to do this. So you can imagine Abraham's, what do you mean? My, you want me to kill my son? This, this doesn't make any sense. Yet uh, he trusts the Lord. And so he goes up on the mountain that God told him to go up on and he gets ready the altar to sacrifice his son to the Lord because this is what he said to do. And the very moment that his son is on the altar and he, uh, he picks up the knife and he says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you said to kill my son. So I'm going to, and then right then an angel stops him. You see, what was God doing? It was a test. Now, I don't think he'll, God will ever put us through a test quite like that. Abraham is unique in this way. But it says that Abraham had faith, Right? But in this action, in this story that we see in Genesis 22 of Abraham and Isaac, his faith is displayed for us to see. His faith is displayed through his life. Why? Because he was willing to trust God to no end. He was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him for the sake because God said so. Do you have faith like that? And I, I hope I do. But the interesting thing with this if you look in verse 23, there's something that's quoted directly out of Genesis 15, verse 6. And it says, and he, this was fulfilled, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You see, this story that we see with Abraham and Isaac is in Genesis 22. But 30 to 40 years earlier, God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15, and he gave him amazing promises. He said, I'm, you don't have a son yet, Abraham, and you're really old, but I'm going to give you a son that you and your wife, they, you're not going to be able to have kids, but I'm going to make you able to have a kid. And this is going to be the son of promise. This is going to be a son that, I'm, that is going to be awesome. And all my promises will be fulfilled through him. And it says that in that moment that God was promising him this, it says that Abraham believed. That's that first point of confession within Abraham's heart. He said, God, I believe what you're saying is true. But it's amazing to me because it says that this scripture was fulfilled not, not until 40 years later when you see this amazing act of faith by Abraham. 
And the Bible says, don't you see that the works and the faith, they work together. The word is that they collaborate. They, they are inseparable. They, they, you cannot take apart someone, oh, well, he just has faith and he just works a lot. No, they, they go together. That if your faith doesn't match your works, then your faith is not really faith. And if your works don't match your faith, I don't know. But you see, these things go together. Kind of like, uh, you guys ever had a Coke with a hamburger? Goes together. Peanut butter and jelly? Goes together. Milk and cookies? Those things go together. You can't separate them. You can't have a cookie without milk. You gotta go to the store and buy milk. I don't care if it's 10 p.m. at night. You gotta go. But you see, there's some things that go together. And faith and works, James is trying to slam home to us. They go together and they're inseparable. And I love it because it says that he was... He was not only justified, meaning it means made right with God. It means that he was vindicated. And you're like, what does vindicated mean? It means that he is now put right with God on a legal status. That Abraham, because of his belief and because he showed that through his life, that God would be able to look at him as if he never, ever sinned, that he was on right standing with God. So much so that God even considered Abraham his friend. It's funny, you know those people that, that kind of say, oh, this person is my friend? And you're like, oh, there's some famous person. Oh, yeah, that's my friend. Yeah, I know him. And you're like, no, you don't. Have you ever talked to him? They're like, no. Like, Do you know his last name? No. I was like, but you're friends with him. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. No, no, you're not, right? And there's some people that say friends like that. But why? Because we know friendship, it indicates that there's a, there's a mutual trust there, that there is experience and you might just say, oh yeah, I know God, but you have no experience with him. Then do you know him? Is he your friend? Is he your father? Is he your savior? And so we see Abraham and we see how the works and faith thing works together. But then we also see a, a lady named Rahab. Now you guys know a few things about Abraham I saw, but uh, does anyone know anything about this lady named Rahab? Has anyone ever heard? Tim. She was a prostitute. She sold her body to men for money, okay? For sure. A lot different than Abraham, it seems like. And I love the contrast because he talks about this biblical giant like Abraham, but then he talks about someone who, had, uh, who was a prostitute, yet she did have faith and she showed it through her works. You see, the story of Abraham we find in Joshua chapter two. Uh, it's when Moses has just, just died, Joshua has just taken over as a lead and captain over all of Israel. Uh, it's an awesome story. And it says that finally Joshua's going to go and he's going to start uh, conquering the different uh, promised land that was promised to the children of Israel. And there's the first place that they come to. Does anyone know the name of the city? Yeah. Jericho. Boom. Jericho. And what do you know about Jericho? They got some big walls, right? They got very large walls. And so they come to this place called Jericho, but before they decide, before God tells them to walk around the city, Joshua sends out two spies. And he says, hey, I want you to go, and I just want you to sneak into the city. Don't be seen by anyone. I just want to see what kind of artillery they have. I want to see what kind of, I want to see what we're dealing with. What's in the city? How many people live there? And they want to see those different things. So Joshua sends these spies, and they go, and you know, they're trying to be stealthy, and I'm sure the suspicion was up, and uh, they come to a lady house named Rahab. Now, her house, uh, she, was, she was a prostitute, 
but they come and they and and it seems the little information that we have on this woman is that she heard about God, that she heard from different nations and from different people talking that, man, there is this God of Israel and they're moving and they, something about a Red Sea parting. And she had these little, little information about who God was, but she believed. She seemed to have this faith. Why? And how do we know that? How do we know that she had faith in God? Well, when these two spies came, uh, it says that she hid them. Why did she hide them? Well, the people of Jericho, they found out that the spies went to her house. And so the, the guards, they go to Rahab's house and they say, hey, uh, the spies, uh, they're, where, where are they at? And she, she lies for them, which was actually a good lie, which that's a whole nother topic. Um, but she hides them in the rafters and she says something else to the guards and they go away. And you see, she knew God very little, but she trusted that he was real. But that trust, it followed in her actions that she was willing to betray her own country, that she was willing to turn her back on the place that she probably grew up, that she probably lived in, and she was willing to follow God wholeheartedly. It's crazy because her faith actually even goes down, for those of you that went to camp, no, uh, Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith. Rahab is actually mentioned there for her amazing faith. And so in one case, we see a father who's willing to sacrifice his son, and, uh, and the other Example, we see a woman willing to betray her own country. You see, they had faith that worked. It matched up to their life. And so in conclusion, he, he ends this whole thing with verse 26. And read it with me one more time. He says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And he concludes with bringing it home with a simile. Do you guys know what a simile is? And so he, he compares these two things. He says, just as, right, that's how you, that's how you can recognize what it, when, it, when it's a simile, as or like, just as the body without spirit, meaning without life in it, is dead, he says, faith without works is dead. When he says spirit, it's just talking about the life in someone. When someone dies and their, and their spirit leaves them and they have no more breath in their lungs, what is that body now? It's just, it's, it's dead and it's dust that eventually that body will go and turn back to dust. It's nothing that they have to, what do you do with a dead body? You, you bury it because there's no, there's no use to it anymore. The person is gone. Now the body is just left. And he says, just as that is, you, you go and you bury a dead body and it's, it's nothing, it's dead. He says, if you have faith and you say, you say that you have faith, but your life does not match up to what you say, it's dead. It's worthless. It's useless. And it's interesting because a dead body, isn't it true a dead body can look like it's alive? At least for the first while that you see if someone just dies, I'm sure most of you guys haven't seen a dead body, at least right when someone dies. Some of you have, I'm sure. But when you see that, it's like, oh, it, it could almost look like they're just sleeping, that you'd have to check the pulse, right? You'd have to check the, if they're even breathing. But what happens when you give a dead body time? begins, is it as easy to disguise maybe that it's not, that the person's not dead? Yeah. Yeah. Starts to change, right? The body starts to rot. It starts to smell. Why? Because it's dead. It's, 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 it's going to begin over time to show its true colors. And I believe someone who just says they have faith over time, the true colors will come about. 
that you give it time, that if, if your faith right now is just something you say and not something you do, give it till the end of junior high, the end of high school, that your so-called faith, it'll show its true colors that you, you won't walk with the Lord anymore, but it's because you never really did. And you give it time and it'll show its true colors. You see, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do with what you say. And so this is the last question for today. Uh, it's the same as the first question. Put it down. Does your life, I, I, I changed the we to your, does your life match up to the faith you confess? This is something I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me. For you, does your faith match up to the faith you confess? I certainly hope so. And if you were to say today, well, no, I don't think it does, so then change it. So then change it. If you're saying, man, my, my, what I say I believe and what I do on Monday at school, it, it doesn't match up. Well, then that's something that you have to figure out between you and the Lord. You have to come to him and say, God, are we, is this faith, do I just have a belief or do I, have I actually trusted you for salvation? Because if you have, then there will be that natural change to happen. So worship team, you guys can come out. Uh, we're going to close in worship today. We're going to pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much uh, for who you are. We thank you so much that uh, you, you love us so much that you don't leave us in the state that we're in, that you want to come into our life and change it and make us more like you and less like ourselves. And Lord, that would be our prayer today. Lord, that you would increase and we would decrease. Lord, that I just want to pray for anyone that uh, maybe today they were convicted and they were cut to the heart and uh, they would be able to say, no, it, it doesn't match up. My life, my life does not match up to the things that I say. Lord, would you help them? Would you save them, Lord? Would you give them the strength to be able, Lord, to fix that? Lord, would you do a work in their heart, Lord, that they can't do on their own? Lord, would your spirit invade their life in a way that would be tangible and powerful, Lord, and you'd help, uh, uh, Lord, us just to, to live it out, Lord. Lord, that when we see the needs of others, that you would give us a heart, Lord, to uh, extend a hand, Lord, just as you've extended your hand to us. Lord, as you, as you had so much grace on us, Lord, may we, uh, Lord, may that translate into every aspect of our life. Lord, that when you ask us, Lord, to give it all up, Lord, will we not even think twice? Would we surrender everything at your feet? Lord, help us to be a church and a body here, this junior high ministry, Lord, that would not love just in word and in tongue, Lord, but we would love in deed and in truth. Lord, that we would have assurance in our hearts, Lord, that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.